Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you well? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Here we go. Um, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. And I want to, um, before I even start uh, talking about some of the things that I prepared, I want to share something with you that I think is for you. Um, I brought it up to staff this morning during our prayer time this morning, but I was uh, letting my dog um, out uh, this morning to go to the restroom. You don't care about that, but it's, it's important for me that everything lines up together. Anyways, Wally Dog had to go pee, is all I'm saying. And uh, so I let him outside, and I'm, as I'm opening the door, the Lord spoke something to me. Um, and I want to share it with you. I thought it was originally for me, um, but during worship, can you take me down just a little bit, Aaron? I'm just humming a little bit. Um, I want to, during worship, I just sensed it was for all of us. I'm not trying to oversell this. Um, theology is the knowledge of God. It's, it's what we understand God to be. And, and many of us have a theology of who God is based on what he's done for us, um, what we read in the scripture, and, and what we see him do in the lives of other people. We know and understand who God is by how he interacts with us, by how he interacts with others and how we learn about him in scripture. Um, and as I was opening the door this morning, um, I sensed the Lord say to me, um, Jeff, w- what you don't think I can do for you, I can do for you. And I said, well, of course, Lord, you can do whatever you want. You're God. We sung about him earlier. He does everything he wants to do. And my theology of God has been formed by what I've seen him do in everyone else's life, what I've read in scripture, but not what he's done in my life. He's done a lot of great things, but he hasn't done this one thing for me. Anyone? Anyone? And, and the Lord is reminding me today, Jeff, I can even do that one thing you don't think I can do in your life. And I was like, oh, okay. So I carried that with me to church this morning, and I thought it was just for me. But I suspect there are people here who, who probably need to have a different understanding of who God is. Um, I, don't, I don't need to know your thing. I don't want to know your thing. I mean, if you want to tell me, you can tell me, but... Um, But God is saying that I can even do the thing that you don't think I can do. I I can even do that. So maybe that's helpful. So um, if not, um, take that and throw it in the trash can. (laughs) It doesn't bother me at all. So um, I want to read Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, just as we get started in our time together. Uh, If you have a Bible, Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 10, they will put their words on the screen behind me so you can follow along there. But this is the the text that we're going to be working our way through this morning. Starting here in verse 6, this is the Apostle Paul writing to some Christians in Galatia. It's a region where there's a bunch of churches. And he says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that's contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel that's contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, Paul says, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's where we're at today. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the truth of your word. Uh, Whatever you have for us in these pages or in these words, uh, we believe by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will illuminate them to us, that we will understand them through the work that you do. The beautiful thing about you, God, is you don't even rely on our own intellect sometimes. (laughs) You can make us know things that we need to know. So we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, would you come and be with us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. I've been a Christian almost half of my life now. I'm 52 years old. I became a Christian when I was 26. So I've been a Christian about 26 years. Um, you think it would have worked by now. I'm just saying, like, uh, there's a whole lot that I'm still trying to get through. But um, one of the things that I, I noticed when I became a Christian is um, my life began to change in little incremental ways um, over time. Uh, not growing up in the church, not having any place for church in my life, didn't have a Bible, none of that stuff. I never prayed, didn't listen to worship music, none of that stuff. Um, But when I became a Christian, something inside of my heart just flipped. And and I began to go to church and I liked it. I mean, it's kind of boring some days, I get it, but but I began to like church. I began to sing uh, Christian songs, worship songs. I I played guitar in bands. I started playing guitar at the church and singing songs to Jesus. And and I began to read my Bible and study my Bible. And it was, it was nothing I ever wanted to do before. God had done something inside of me and was transforming me little by little by little. And so for 26 years, I've been reading this Bible, studying it, trying to understand it better. And and I want to share something with you. The Bible is made up of 66 different unique books by different authors. Uh, It was written over a span of about 1,500 years-ish or so. We're not 100% certain on all of that. And and the books are different in in kind. Some of them are historical books, and you read them, and they just sort of tell the accounts of what's taking place. Some of them are biographies. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are biographies about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, all that stuff. Some books are prophetic. They speak of God's prophets speaking rebuke and correction, hope, and um, yeah, hope to God's people through the prophets. These are prophetic books. And, and one of, uh, another type of literature in the uh, Bible is something called wisdom literature. And this is like the book of Proverbs. If you've ever read in Proverbs, there's all these little bitty pithy statements that you could put on T-shirts or coffee mugs, you know what I'm talking about? Like just real little succinct little verses. They're really great. And, and the wisdom literature is great. I want to read something uh, to you from some wisdom literature in the Old Testament. It's out of the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I'll read 9 through 11. Again, the verses are behind me. The writer says this, that two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? Um, The New Living Translation, which is what I just read there, um, they call this part of Ecclesiastes the advantages of companionship. That's the little tag for this little portion of scripture, and I really like that. 
And it, it does seem to make sense, but it'll make even more sense to us when we begin to understand who, in fact, wrote Ecclesiastes. Uh, most people believe Solomon, King Solomon, wrote Ecclesiastes. King Solomon was King David's son, blah, 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 blah. Just know this. King Solomon, when he was about to start to rule God's people, was um, confronted by God. And God says, if you ask for anything, I will give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. God says, I'll give you anything you want in the world. How would you answer that question? Don't raise your hand, right? But, but we, he asked for wisdom. And because God gave him such wisdom, he became very wealthy. King Solomon was considered to be one of the wealthiest people to have ever lived. Some scholars think that his net assets, his personal net worth was over $2 trillion. He's got a lot of money, right? Points to this. In all of his finances and everything that he could possibly ever have, he says that the, the best thing in life is to have someone to do life with. That money can't fix all the problems, that what you need is someone to help you when things get tough. You need someone to help you succeed. You need someone to help keep you warm at night. You need someone to do life with. And the New Testament picks up on some of this. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes in the, the letter to the Corinthians that when God brings us together in Christ Jesus when we become Christians, when we're saved, that God is knitting us together as one body, right? We call the church the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of the body, and we all play unique parts in that body. And Paul likens it to some people being hands, Joe, some people being feet, eyes, ears, or whatever, but we all play a unique part, and we need each other. And so even though many of us have been let down by other people, and even though we'd want to say, I'm never going to trust someone again, and even though we want to say, I'll never let myself get wounded again, I'll never open up to someone again, it is the human condition of us that we need one another. That we, especially when we come together as Christians in the church, as the body of Christ, we need one another. Paul says that if one person here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, if one member of the body suffers, all suffer together. If one member of the body is honored, all rejoice together, that we are connected to one another as the church. The church is not the building. We talk about this a lot here, and you guys maybe need to understand that a little more. I think we all do, that we sometimes say, I'm going to church. And you're thinking about you're going to a building. I understand that, that um, semantical way we say that, but, but the, the church is actually us, the people. And we do need the church. And we need to be connected to one another. I say all of that to point to this. This is the motivation that Paul is bringing as he writes this letter to the Galatians. This is the motivation behind him as he's writing a scathing rebuke to some of them in the church because they're believing something that's incorrect, that they're allowing themselves to be persuaded away from the true gospel and believing something else. He's writing to them because he cares for them. He's writing to them because he knows that if this false gospel, if this Fake gospel is maybe a better way to say that. If it continues to be spread amongst the church, the church is in trouble. And so he writes to them. And he says in verse 6, right here, I am astonished. Amazed is the way another, some of the other uh, 
um, translations write this. I'm amazed, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. Paul sees something in the Galatian church, hear me when I say this, that they don't even see in themselves. Left to their own devices, I don't know that the Galatians ever would have figured out that they're believing a false gospel. Left to continue to walk their own path, I don't think they ever would have realized they're going in the wrong direction. But Paul understands. Paul knows what's taking place. And he says, I see it in you. You don't even see it. This is why we need one another. Sometimes people see things in you that um, are, are, shall we say, less becoming. We usually call this person the closest person to you. Maybe it's a, a parent. Maybe it's a spouse, if you're blessed to have a spouse. Maybe a best friend. And they just call you on your stuff. Anyone? We need people like that. Paul sees this in their lives, and he calls them on it. You guys are believing something, and it amazes me. I read a story this past week about a pastor um, you don't know him. I don't know him. I just read it on uh, Twitter. Um, anyways, he said after he preached one Sunday a couple weeks ago, a good friend of his came up to him after service and said, hey, pastor, are you doing okay? And he says, well, yes. Why? Why do you ask? He goes, well, I just noticed in your message, some of your tone seemed a bit harsh. Some of your language seemed a bit bitey. So, you know, you just seem to be a little aggressive today. I just wanted to make sure everything was okay with you. He goes, no, it seems fine. He goes, and if I can be honest with you, you seem to have been like, been like this for a few weeks now, for, for some time. And the pastor was like, he didn't see it at all. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but thank you, I'm doing fine. Um, but something was unsettled in him. So he went home later that day and he re-listened to his sermon from that morning. And his friend was right. Dang it. <laughs> right? Shoot. His friend was right. And not only that, he went back and listened to his message from the previous week. And the tone was a little harsh. The language was a little bitey. He kept going back week after week. He listened to months of his own sermons until he got to this one place where he, he saw his tone changed. And he went back and he realized that's when he started. Hear me when I say this. I'm not trying to judge y'all, but listen. He goes, this is when I, I got into an argument on social media and I said something real cute, whatever, and a bunch of people thumbed it up or whatever. I got a bunch of likes from it. And I, I, got, I liked the applause or I liked the people liking the things I was saying. And on social media, you can say anything you want, because right, you can do whatever you want. And, and, and all of a sudden, in that moment, his tone shifted, not just on his, his social media persona, but in his, his preaching from the pulpit persona. And, and his friend called him on it in love. Paul sees something in the Galatian church and says, you guys have been bewitched. It's the language he'll use later on in this letter. You guys have been persuaded to believe something else. He goes, and I'm shocked that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. We don't know that this is necessarily a timeline thing. We don't know how long it's been since Paul preached the gospel to them, maybe a couple years ago, and now he's, here, he's moved on to another part of the world, and he's hearing that they're, they're believing something else. We don't know if it's a timeline thing. I think what he's trying to say, I can't believe how easily... You've walked away from this. You ever see someone struggle to open up a pickle jar, right? Or maybe you, you know what I mean? Like, and someone walks in and says, here, you try, and plunk, it just opens. And they say this, I loosened it for you. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> what they're saying is like, I can't believe how quickly you got that open. I can't believe how easily it was for you. Paul's using that type of language. But the, but the arguments that these 
other teachers, they're called the Judaizers. Uh, Josh reminded us last week they're called the circumcision party. But it's, it's these other people from Jerusalem are coming up into Galatia and they're, they're coming behind Paul and they're teaching a different message of salvation. The message that Paul teaches is, and that we teach and we believe is that salvation is by grace through faith. It means this. Grace means you do not earn it. You do not work for it. You don't deserve it. I love you, but you don't deserve the grace that God gives us, right? But he gives it to us because he loves us. And by faith, we believe that. And that's the gospel message. Yay, salvation. Amen, Jesus, let's go, right? right? But these Judaizers from Jerusalem, they come up after and they're teaching something else. They're teaching, yes, it's Jesus. Yes, it's faith. But it's also adherence to the law. It's also getting circumcised. It's also dietary restrictions. It's also all this other stuff. But their arguments are persuasive. I want to read to you a, a, a fictional letter that the Judaizers may have written to the Galatian church. This is fictional, right? I didn't write this. I'm reading this from a book that I found. But he says this. Uh, they're writing to the church in Galatia. Dear brothers and sisters of Galatia, we greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? They're Christians too. We have heard how through the ministry of Brother Paul that you have been converted from the worship of dumb idols to serve the true and living God of Israel. Well done. We are glad that you have made such a good beginning, but we are afraid that there are some very important things about the gospel that Paul has omitted to tell you. Uh-oh, I wonder what that is. We ourselves come from the church at Jerusalem, which is directed by the very apostles that Jesus called and he ordained himself. Paul is an upstart, whatever that means, right? Why he never even knew Jesus while he was on the earth, and he certainly never commissioned by him to be an apostle. True, Paul did visit Jerusalem just after he stopped persecuting us, and there he learned the ABCs of the Christian faith from the true apostles in Jerusalem. But the message he now preaches, it bears no resemblance to theirs. Huh. Why, this is the, he says, I don't imagine that Paul has even told you about circumcision, has he? He says, this is, they say, this is the very way that God has made it possible for you Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to become part of the new Israel. Now, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And circumcision is just as important as baptism, maybe even more important, they say. Huh. For it's going to introduce you to a higher place or higher plane of Christian living. So if you will observe this holy ordinance of the law, God will be pleased with you. We are just now forming a new association of law observant churches, and we would love for Galatia to be represented. Check this. I love this last line. We are the true Christians. Jesus, our great example, he pleased the Father by fulfilling the law and so can you. You see how that's kind of persuasive? Maybe some of you aren't seeing the differences there. They're saying things like this. Jesus was Jewish, right? You need to be Jewish too. Jesus obeyed all the laws. You need to obey the laws too. And they're twisting the gospel. It's becoming now more of a performance type thing. It's less of a grace by faith thing. Now it's more of a grace by faith. Now, now work for it and earn it. Get circumcised, obey all the restrictions. and do, You see how this is getting distorted. And Paul is frustrated that they're buying into that argument. And we'll spell that out over the next few weeks with much more time than I have today. 
But sometimes people tell us things about Jesus that is just close enough to the truth that sometimes we begin to believe that instead of the real truth. I think of our own world today where many of us, maybe like me, didn't grow up like around Christian family, Christian friends or anything. Um, So when I became a Christian, um, as I mentioned earlier, my life was radically transformed. But over time, some of my friends would come to me and say, Jesus, uh, Jeff, they don't call me Jesus, they call me Jeff. They say, (laughs) I wish they call me Jesus. They're like, I don't know, Jeff, this, this Jesus is God thing. I mean, I'm 100% on this fact that Jesus was just a great moral teacher, right? And people have said that probably around you, that Jesus did a lot of great things. Read his, his, his writings in the, or his words in the New Testament Gospels. He's quite compassionate. He's always looking out for the poor and the oppressed. Yeah, I could get behind a guy like that. And, and those things are true, but it's, it's limited in its truth that he was com- compassionate. He does look out for the poor and, and the oppressed. But he was also the son of God. And if you begin to follow the wrong Jesus, the wrong message of who Jesus is, you're on the wrong path altogether. There is only one path. There's only one way of salvation. That is through the work that Christ himself has done on the cross. That his resurrection from the dead is is the first of the resurrection so that all of us in faith, that we too have the hope of resurrection after we die at some point. The eternal life we have with God is only found in that. You won't find it if Jesus is just a good moral teacher for you. And it seems fine to just follow that Jesus. Because that Jesus (laughs) doesn't expect much of you. That Jesus doesn't care much about you. But Paul says, you guys are following a wrong gospel, and it's a dangerous gospel, and um, you're deserting him who called you. Look at this in verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly, so easily deserting him who called you. Paul knows the error that they're making. He totally gets it. But believing a different gospel, hear me when I say this, it pales in comparison to the bigger issue, and this is it that they are turning their backs on God himself. That when we believe a different gospel, we are turning our backs on God. We are deserting deserting God. Hear this, Paul is not fighting for his own way. He doesn't say that they're deserting him. He's not frustrated. Like when I left you guys, I told you to worship on Saturdays, take communion once a month and make sure you serve the meal before service, not after service. And you guys are changing all the rules. He doesn't give a rip about that stuff. This is not about Paul's preference on how worship is supposed to go. This is about they've turned to a different gospel and they've turned around on God. And that God can't help you. When you turn away from him, he cannot help you. You're leading yourself astray. They're not turning their backs on Paul. They're turning themselves on Uh, Turn your backs on God. And it has this sort of militaristic idea. You've heard of desertion from your your troop or whatever. It's punishable possibly by death even. And that's what Paul's driving at. You guys are walking into death on this road. God's not there. And he loves them enough to call him on it. And he says, you're turning on the the one who called you. Look at that that, that line. God is the one who called the universe, creation, And everything that exists, he called it into existence by his very words. Genesis 1 and 2, God speaks and the universe is formed. 
God speaks and light comes. God speaks and the oceans stop moving. God speaks and the mountains stay. God speaks and things happen. God spoke to a nation, the small, one of the smallest nations of the earth, and called it his own, called it Israel, and did some work through her and to her that would bless the entire world. Jesus Christ came as a Jewish person because God intended it to, that to be so. He spoke that in. The same God who called Jesus out of the grave and into the resurrection is the same God who calls you, and you're turning your back upon him. And this is the thing that's breaking Paul's heart. And you're believing this other gospel, verse 7. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. Josh did a great job talking about what the gospel was last week. We talked about it a little bit uh, already now. It's Jesus plus other stuff. I won't go into all of that. But I just know this. There's something inside of us that wants people to change. We want ourselves to change. And oftentimes we think that we need to be, believe Jesus and then follow God's commands, right? And we do want to follow God's commands, right? He does have a command that says, thou shalt not murder. Can we at least follow that one today, right? Let's at least get on board with that one. Um, holy cow, our world would be a better place if we did that. Um, but when we consider the wayward lives, the crazy lives that we used to live before we became Christians, you can see how God's commands would temper us. We think there are people that we know that once we become Christians and, and are obedient to the things of God, that their lives would become tempered. They'll stop living like a fool. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. So all of a sudden, when we begin to obey the commands of God, we begin to think that's what's actually changing us, and we get it all wrong. Your obedience to God's command is not what's changing you. It's the Spirit of God that's inside of you that gives you a desire to follow the commands of God that's changing you. Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> I'll worry about you guys later. This side, <laughs> Don, you've done something over here, brother. This is good over here. Yeah, it's, it's not obedience to the law that's changing you. It's the spirit inside of you that's changing you. And all of a sudden, as I mentioned earlier, over time, little by little, trickle by trickle, my life began to change. And so can yours. That's what's happening. It's the obedience to the law can be a trick. It's helpful, but it's not going to save you. It gives you a pattern, but it's not ultimately what can rescue you. Jesus Christ can rescue you. And so the question then we wrestle with is, what do we do with all of the Old Testament commands? Do we just stop reading the Old Testament? That's what some people do. There are denominations who do not believe in the Old Testament, right? We believe in the Old Testament, but we know that it had a purpose. In those Old Testament stories, we see God do something to and through his people, Israel. We see all those stories in the Old Testament. God's done something with them all as a foreshadowing, a precursor of what God wanted to do for the entire world. First, he saved his people, Israel. And Jesus came through the nation of Israel, and he is going to save the entire world. And that's the hope. We do not stop at the Old Testament. We continue to flip the page into the New Testament and see what God is doing now through everyone. It has been expanded to all the nations. And he says here in verse 7, that those people who are teaching you another gospel, they're troubling you. And I just wrote this down, and I'll just throw this out there and move on quickly because I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But I'm telling you, you find a church that's in trouble, you find a church that's distorting the gospel. You find a church, that's, that, you find a church that doesn't operate in forgiveness and grace towards one another is because they do not understand the gospel of grace and forgiveness that's been given to you. 
You find a church that's got all kinds of legalism in it, it's because they do not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying here? And, and when someone distorts the, the gospel, they're troubling you in, a ways, in ways that sometimes you don't even fully understand. Verse 8 says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we've already preached to you, let that person be damned to H-E double hockey sticks. I'm just saying. That's what a curse means. Let him be damned to hell. Anathema. As we've said before, verse 9, so I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you already and the one that you received, let that false teacher be accursed. It just means may all the weight of God's judgment be upon them for eternity. They're not just teaching you something flippant. They're destroying lives with these words. And, and Paul knows that's serious business, and God will judge it ultimately. But again, Paul includes himself in this. This is not about Paul. Don't hear this about Paul. It's not about him. It is about who God is and what God is trying to do. It's about the good news of salvation, of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is contrary to the one that you've already, that you're being, um, that you've already received. That what they're teaching you is, wrong. Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 that no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Christ Jesus. We start there and we build our lives up from there. Everything comes up on top of what the gospel is telling us. So I'm trying to go quickly so you can get out of here. We can go watch Illinois. Uh, start our day with a loss probably. You know what? I don't care. They're terrible. I'm just starting out. I mean, I want them to win. They just won't. <laughs> Welcome to Renaissance. I... Verse 10, for I am I now seeking the approval of man or of God. Am I trying to please man? And I love what he says here. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul, if you know his story, he was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was the, the observant Jew. He followed all the law. And he, he looks back now through the gospel lens of Christ Jesus. He understands now that all of that work, all of that legalism is just trying to please man. Wow. Look how holy I am. I don't eat pork chops. I don't eat bacon. Right? I, I Sabbath on Saturday night instead of Sunday. Look how holy I am. I, I give 10% of my paycheck every, I read my Bible every day for 10 minutes. Look how holy, and, and, and all you're trying to do is just please other people and how they view you. And Paul says, if I was still trying to do that, I wouldn't be following Christ. Because Christ was pleased to endure the cross for us. That he was pleased to, to shed his blood and take the punishment for sin upon himself that we might be liberated from it. Paul, I assure you, is not trying to please man anymore. And we need to stop trying to do so as well. I have this wonderful sin. It's my favorite. It's called people pleasing. Anyone? Anyone? In Jesus' name be gone. I'm serious. I like you guys. I love most of you. Um, 
I'm on the fence with this side. <laughs> no, but far, for far too long, you have influenced my life more than Jesus has influenced my life. I cared more about what you guys thought about my message or what you guys thought about what I did than I cared about what Jesus. Is this making sense? And I'm going to tell you, that'll chew you up and spit you out, ladies and gentlemen. It'll put you in a weird spot. It'll put you in a spot where I'm at some days. We do not want to be people who are just trying to do things to please other people. We want to follow Jesus. And if he asks you to be observant to certain things, if he asks you to stop speeding, anyone? Anyone? Then stop speeding. He hasn't told me to stop speeding. (laughs) Of course. But if he would, but if he would, I I would like to say, um, I would. He talked to me about getting drunk. And and that had to go bye-bye. He talked to me about sexual immorality. And that had to to go bye-bye. He talked to me about a bunch of other things. That the work that God is doing inside of my life is so transparent now. Um, It just took a while for me to really understand that. Anyway, so I have a minute left. Um, Stop talking to me. Um, I I want to... um, I want to close. I want to go back to that Ecclesiastes passage. This is, again, King Solomon, this wisdom stuff. He, he has one more verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, and it says this, that a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three, he says, are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. This is used a lot in weddings, this verse. I use this in weddings a lot, and... Um, it is nice to see a husband and a wife come together and talk about them being united in this, this third chord or whatever is typically in reference to who God is and what he can do. And if he's entwined in your life, then, then that chord will be strong. But I don't want to focus on the third chord right now. Look at that front part of that verse. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. The church in Galatia was standing alone and Paul came to help them. Paul knew they were being led astray that they were deserting God and they were going to find themselves in in death because that road leads to death. And he came to help them. Um, We need to live our lives in such a way that people can come and help us when we need help. This facade that we oftentimes build around our lives to, to, to be perfect when we go to church, to be perfect, like when you're really struggling with stuff, but you just sort of fake it till you make it type stuff, like that's not helping you. It's only when we're real. It's only when we allow ourselves to be known. Um, Can I just share something with you? Um, This is why we have like family movie Sundays so we can get to know one another. Like, hear me, I've got a hundred other things to do on Sunday. Anyone? Anyone? But I'm telling you, if if we will not embrace one another and do life with one another, we might as well just be the country club. We might as well just be another social gathering. Hear me, I want us to do life together. 
I want to know some of your business. I want you to know some of my business. And I want God to work through that, that we might be liberated from things. Scripture tells us that truth sets us free. If no one is speaking truth to you because they do not know the true things about you, then you will always be shackled forever and ever and ever. God has knit us together as a body, unique and different. Christ is the head, but we all play a role. And when one of us is suffering, all of us are suffering. And when one of us is, is um, rejoicing, all of us are rejoicing, whatever that, right? We have to do this together. Paul saw that. I'm asking God, I'm asking him, God, would you reveal the brokenness amongst us? Would you, would you begin to address the wrong things in this church? Because I'm tired of just playing church. I'm asking God to shape us and to change us. Maybe that's why he said to me this morning that the thing you don't think I can do, I can still do. Because maybe I've given up on that idea that God can fix me. Have you given up on the idea that God can fix you? That he can help you? Um, okay. This is the goal. This is the goal for the church. That we be a church that always preaches that gospel of uh, salvation by grace through faith. That we're a church that does life with one another. That we're a church that uh, suffers long with one another. Say amen. I want to hear all of you say amen. Uh, one more time. I want to hear all of you say amen. Amen. Fro? Amen? Right? So we, we are all in this together. And when someone offends you, right, we're going to operate in forgiveness and grace towards them because um, no one was more offensive to Jesus Christ than you. Right? And God forgave you through Jesus. And so we're going to do that. And we're going to get along with one another. And I know this is an election year, kind of. It's a halfway year. We're not going to let that be a bother to us. Say amen. Because if you guys are bothered by that, I'm going to get real upset again. Because <laughs> it really bothered me in 2020. I, I've never seen the church be more disgusting in my entire life. As long as I've been a Christian, I've never seen that like we saw a couple years ago. It's because we forgot how to do this. We forgot that God has united us together and that our devotion to Jesus Christ trumps, pun intended, every other political... <laughs> Red or blue, black or white, it doesn't matter. It's over all of that. Say amen. amen. Right, I, this, this um, turned a corner. I apologize. <laughs> I feel better having said it. So, anyways. Can I pray for us? Yeah, we'll get out of here. Um, just for the record, I did not preach as long as Josh did last week. And... Uh, <laughs> Or Joe the week before, I think. So amen to that. So God, thank you for what you've done and continue to do. Thank you that you've given us to one another, that we have help, that God, would you just even now just bring people into our lives that would speak truth to us and be helpful to us. And Holy Spirit, help us to remember that all of our serving you is good and it's modeled after Christ. And, and we want to, to serve and to be obedient to all the things you say. But those things aren't earning us salvation. We're working out of salvation towards obedience. That's the difference. It's the benefit of it. And so I thank you, God, for our changed lives. 
I thank you, God, that you're continuing to continuing to work in your church, your bride, across the globe, and even here in this church. We thank you for everything that you do, God. We thank you that you're the one who's the big deal, that this church is not about us and our preferences, but it's about you, that you're the one who created everything. You're the one who is saving um, everyone through your son, Jesus. You're the one who deserves all worship and adoration as we were singing about this morning. You're the one, you're the reason we gather. And if you're not the reason we gather, Lord, we've got it all together wrong. So help us change, Lord. God, we thank you again for our time together. And um, lastly, Lord, if there's anything you can do to help Illinois win. For Mary, amen, amen. Love you guys. God bless you. Please stand. We'll go back into worship. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 